Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. As you know, this month we've spoken all about domestic violence, employer obligations, spotting the signs and everything in between. But with new legislation on its way and to round off our conversations for this month, we're now hoping to chat in detail about one of the key foundations for any topic, crafting and implementing the policy. We're delighted to be joined today by one of the companies in Ireland who are leading the way in crafting and implementing domestic violence policies, as we welcome Barry Holmes, Director of Human Resources at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. Thanks for joining us, Barry. How are you? I'm great, Owen, and thanks uh, for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Brilliant stuff. Look forward to the chat. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great, thanks, Owen. Beautiful sunny day here in Kilkenny. That's it, long way at last. Brilliant, so look, Barry, let's jump right in and we'll come to yourself first, if that's all right. Uh, so look, there's obviously a lot of foundations, previous background work when it comes to RCSI's um, domestic violence policy. And to be fair, I think all those might sound like a bit of a left field question for our listeners to start off with. I think it'd be a shame not to discuss at the outset because it does provide a little bit of great context to the work done. But can you talk to us, Barry, a little bit about the ESP forum and how this all kind of kicked off? Yeah, sure. Very happy to own. Uh, I mean, the, the, the work itself aligns to to a recently published uh, HEA, which is the Higher Education Authority, which is the governing authority for universities in Ireland. They produced a, a guidance document entitled Ending Sexual Violence and Harassment in Higher Education Institutions. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a mouthful. But in 2018, we set up a, a working group um, to develop a framework and policy aimed at ending sexual violence and misconduct. And, and we got great advice at the time from uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Uh, they served as an external advisor to that group. So I think not being afraid to, to leverage the expertise uh, externally was was something uh, that I think other organisations can maybe take on board as 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 they as they embark on this journey. So in, in January 21, we we set up a dedicated uh, ESP forum, which is uh, the ESP stands for Ending Sexual Violence, Supporting Survivors, and Promoting Consent. So that forum was set up for staff and students. Uh, in RCSI and the forum was responsible for the implementation and monitoring of the consent framework at RCSI as well as organizing a range of awareness and uh, awareness campaigns and, and events including Speak Out which is an online um, anonymous reporting tool uh, which we use in, in, in RCSI but also across other um, HEIs in the sector. So the forum is currently developing uh, an action plan uh, which aligns with, with, with that consent uh, framework um, and I suppose within that context, the one of the key actions within that plan was the or the establishment of and 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 setup of the RCSI domestic violence and abuse policy, and the policy itself, which I know we'll probably go on to talk a little bit about in a moment, it, it outlines a range of appropriate, reasonable accommodations and supports, including adjustments to working arrangements, working patterns, and dedicated leave to support staff members experiencing domestic violence uh, and abuse. So hopefully that gives you a, sort of a bit of a, a bit of context in terms of the journey that that we're on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose you said at the outset there, Brian, that there is, I suppose, the, the higher education guidance on this. But I suppose when it comes to when you were crafting, implementing the policy and that kind of stuff, what was the, the goal, I suppose? Because there's kind of cultural elements to this as well, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I suppose this, the, the policy itself, I suppose, reflects, I suppose, a commitment that we have as an organisation uh, to support an inclusive and safe environment for, for both our staff and our students. So, I mean, I know it's an overused cliche, but but ultimately, I suppose we are, a, you know, a very much a, a people-centric business. That's how we train healthcare professionals, undergraduate, medical, uh, physio, pharmacy students. Um, so we have to ensure that we have robust structures in place uh, for staff and students and that they're critically aware and feel comfortable to avail of the services. There's no point in having the supports in place if people don't feel comfortable using them. Um, so I suppose a couple of other points maybe just to mention in terms of sort of the goal. So whilst there was an awareness uh, of this area, it came to prominence during COVID uh, and the details were shared on, on news bulletins by support services that were pretty stark in terms of some of the issues that people were experiencing through COVID. And it was very stark and very concerning. So that was kind of another contextual point that sort of was 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 in our, in our minds. I suppose it was part of the broader sort of policy development agenda that we have had in place in RCSI over the last number of years. So we've set up a a sort of an annual review process for existing policies and the development of new policies based on legislation, best practice and and emerging needs. And that's a cross-section of staff, right from research staff to professional services staff to academic staff and also students. And I suppose last but not least, and it it, it is worth mentioning, I mean, it has been a very strong focus of of Simon Harris, um, the Minister for Further and Higher Education. Um, You know, he's been very strong in terms of his... Uh, desire to ensure that higher education institutions kind of set a standard um, and encouraging all of the higher education institutions to implement um, a policy to cover all staff. So we we were sort of first up on that, um, not not because we wanted to be first up, but it was just, I suppose, it aligned with a number of those factors and then the, the, the context which I'd outlined earlier. Brilliant. And I suppose, Mary, when we talk about policies, it's kind of aligned to what Barry's saying there, it's kind of aligned to what we always kind of say, Mary, as well, isn't it, that these overarching goals are quite important. It should never be just about compliance, Mary, really. It's, it's about much more than that, isn't it? If you come at something just from a compliance perspective, I think you're missing a trick um, because the reality is these documents are living, breathing, changing all the time. Um, and it's so important that they're updated frequently. And, you know, Barry, I'm sure you can agree with me as a HR professional, the, the pace and the volume of change uh, in the last couple of years has been phenomenal and it, it can be difficult to keep up. You can be out of date within months, never mind within a year. So it's really important that they're reviewed regularly um, and put in front of your resource groups, your committees um, for appropriate language, for uh, relevance and ongoing relevance, for uh, catching what might have changed uh, over the course of time. And when it's coming to something like crafting a domestic violence and abuse um, leave policy, you know, they, as, as we discussed with um, the Women's Aid to, uh, on our podcast, 
you know, it's still a really stigmatized topic and we have to be careful in HR um, and across organizations how we describe the supports that are there, um, how careful we are about the language we use, because what we're trying to do is create a, a culture of safety and trust where people feel that they can come and disclose. But I think until that conversation uh, is happening more often in organisations, it's going to be hard to create that environment. So it's wonderful to see um, what Barry and the team and the RCSI are doing, um, because it's all about bringing those policies to life, really. It's not just a document um, sitting on the shelf somewhere or in an internet or in some place that you hope that the employees or the students in your case or, you know, might go and read at some point. Uh, you want these documents to be more meaningful than that. It's a perfect segue on to my next question. I suppose, Barry, from that kind of implementation perspective and from a HR perspective as well, Barry, were there any kind of challenges in implementing it? How did you kind of put it out there? There's obviously training, things like that, was there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I mean, Mary's touched on a couple of points there. I mean, it, this is obviously a hugely sensitive topic and subject. So, so, you know, you have to be equally sensitive in terms of both how you, how you craft it, what language that you use, uh, how you consult, uh, how you implement um, and, and how you monitor. Um, and, and I think that, the, I suppose, from, from a policy perspective, we were very keen to ensure that uh, we were giving multiple avenues by which people could seek and source support where they were at, as distinct from necessarily only pointing to, you know, specific avenues which might be best practice in terms of HR, but you have to take account of trying to put yourself in the shoes of of the person that's going to be using it. But I mean, we, we, we have a fairly well-established um, sort of policy framework methodology that we use. So, so I suppose, firstly, we developed it through extensive engagement and consultation, both internally and externally. So we've a HR team here, obviously. Uh, we also, and a lot of companies wouldn't have this, but we have an EDI team, so a quality, diversity and inclusion uh, team. Um, so we both looked at it separately and through our own networks, uh, we're seeking to try and understand what other institutions were doing, what other companies were doing, private sector, public sector. I mean, there were a couple of non-academic institutions um, that we looked at who were, I think, well advanced. Um, Vodafone and, and Bank of Ireland were two in particular through context that we had through HR. And we met with them and we, we spoke to them about the process that they had adopted. So, um, and again, everyone's context is different um, but I think it's, you know, it was very important for us to kind of understand how they had gone about their their journey. Um, and then I suppose it, it, from our perspective, it was making sure that, I mean, to Mary's point about language, I mean, that was so important, developing a policy that was kind of in line with our with our culture and our values. So not being seen to just develop this because it was, you know, the next thing to do that, you know, was potentially going to be seen to be, you know, the sexy thing to do that actually it was something that was fundamental to the type of organization that we are and the type of, type of culture that we that we want to create. So we essentially developed the draft policy. We sought feedback from staff on that. We got quite a lot of feedback, both from internal staff and also through some of the committees, uh, committee structures that we have would have external representation on them. So as I mentioned earlier on, we have a, a sort of a policy consultation group, which is a cross-section of staff. Uh, it's made up of a cross-section of RCSI staff and students 
So they they as well provided sort of critical input uh, to that. Um, and then I suppose finally, uh, I mean, I'd mentioned um, the Rape Crisis Centre were, were very helpful to us, but we also, uh, when the policy was kind of mature in terms of its um, in terms of its cultivation, uh, we sought advice uh, and got um, both women's aid and men's aid to review the policy. Um, and, and we then got, got women's aid once we had the policy uh, developed to provide, we got them in to provide relevant training to support the implementation of the policy throughout the organisation. So sorry, that was a bit of a long-winded answer, but um, hopefully gives you a sense of, 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 of what we did. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's, it's always good that there's a lot to it, because I think that's the, that's the real mark of success, isn't it? That there's proper energy and effort behind it. I suppose, Mary, again, on this implementation piece, I don't know it's worth spending a bit of time on it, but I think it's so important when we talk about any sort of policy. But with a, a policy like this in particular, Mary, where it's, I suppose, complex, sensitive, quite impactful on the person who has to avail of it, getting the implementation right is, is really vital, Mary, isn't it? Because, again, as, as Sarah Benson said with us last week, it can really be transformative if you get this right from the perspective of the person who has to use it, the victim, that kind of thing, Mary. Absolutely, because, you know, if if you just write a policy in isolation, you know, maybe that's HR, maybe that's somebody else, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a team. If you write it in isolation to the rest of the business, to the organisation, to the people that are going to use it, you probably will get it wrong because you you might um, be using language that's not appropriate um, and is off-putting to the people who you are hoping to reach. I think, you know, the conversation around domestic violence and and abuse is one that's not happening enough in organisations. I understand why because people are afraid of it. Um, but again, it, it's, it starts with um, really trying to understand and carefully craft um, your policies and procedures. And that is best done with the key people in the organisation, the key stakeholders. But I love also that you're having it checked uh, externally too and that you're talking to bodies with expertise in this area who are more than willing to help on the training side, on on the consultation side and the cross-collaboration between organisations too helps you build a more robust policy that's actually fit for purpose. You know, in at Insight HR, we're always reviewing policies and procedures. It's part of our day-to-day business. Um, and often when I look at them, you know, they're riddled with errors. They're um, inconsistent with other policies within the organisation. They haven't fully thought out things like GDPR and, um, you know, how, how is data going to be handled and maintained? You know, it's not as simple as somebody just coming to their manager or their peer and disclosing something. You also have to think about, well, how does it tie in with the rest of the organisation's policies, procedures, culture, values, and all of those things? And you can only do that if you're really seeking input from all those uh, people who both use them, who will manage them, who will maintain them, who will update them. Um, 
you need that all-round approach to it. And we've seen time and time again the organisations that, you know, involve the trade unions, that involve uh, their employees, that look widely out there into the marketplace to see what's going on. Um, tend to get it right more often than not. And in those environments, it's more likely that a victim of, of domestic abuse or violence will come forward because when they read the policy, it speaks to them. Um, and yeah. that's key. That's what we're trying to achieve. Definitely. And I suppose on that external support piece, Barry, I mean, it must have been hugely, hugely valuable, especially with such a complex and sensitive topic like this, as we said. How, how valuable was that support? Yeah, it was huge. I mean, I, I mean, it, it was it was quite a journey for for many of us. Um, you know, because at times some of the scenarios and some of the audio that was used in some of the training was pretty harrowing stuff. So you kind of have to be both as HR professionals, but also as uh, architects of a policy such as this. You kind of have to be prepared for hearing things that make you feel very uncomfortable. Um, so having that external support is is critical. You know, we, we, we sort of recognize, you know, we can do only so much for, for staff. I mean, they they spend a fair amount of their their time here as do students. But we also recognize that we're only only one cog in the machine. And um, so, you know, there there are professionals who are every day providing much needed support to, to victims. So, you know, you have to be open and mature enough to recognize where your limitations are. So, so part of our role in HR is, is, is not only to signpost the support that RCSI offers, um, but also to know when, you know, you're, you're, you're maybe not best placed to offer some supports and, and signpost other areas of expertise that may be covered as part of the policy. So that may be some external uh, supports. It may be referral through an employee assistance program, which a lot of companies would, would have. So it's kind of knowing when you know and knowing when you maybe need to check and and, and, and seek advice yourself um, as a HR practitioner. Um, the, the other point I'd make just on the, on the policy side, just to, to, to Mary's point, you know, I think with all these policies, whether it's uh, domestic violence or, or, or any other policy, I think for, for organizations where, they, where they're of scale to have some sort of a review mechanism um, where, you know, on a, on a timely basis or periodic basis, maybe through the support of organizations like yourself can have a, you know, a, a systemic review of the policies in, in aggregate, as opposed to just looking at policies in isolation, because I think that point around congruency between language and, you know, how, you know, if they're, if they're anchored in particular values, of the organization, you know, it's, it's really important that there's a periodic review, not just based on maybe changes to legislation, but also, you know, maybe case law or, or indeed lived experience in the organization where the policies are being implemented. So it, 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 to, to Mary's point, it kind of keeps them current and keeps, uh, you know, ensures that you're, you're, the policies are kind of working for the individuals who they're designed to work for as distinct for working for the HR, um, the HR audience, which sometimes you can be guilty and I've been guilty of that, you know, thinking, God, I have the best policy here, but actually it's not, it's not about me. It's about the people in the organization who, who the policy is there to, to serve and support. 
It's an interesting point, Barry, because, you know, some of the policies I've looked at actually are a culmination of many HR people. They're not just even one HR person and they can be drafted over many years. And it's interesting to see because that's where you often do find those, you know, fundamental differences between what you're offering, you know, maybe somebody who's taking maternity leave versus adoptive leave or, you know, these kind of peculiar little things um, where an organisation isn't intentional about uh, treating people differently or isn't intentional about, um, you know, something that they're saying or communicating in the style in which they're communicating it, but that can just happen accidentally uh, if if you don't have those reviews in place. So I really agree really strongly that systemic review needs to be there. There, there needs to be somebody, whether it's internal or external, that who has that overarching responsibility for them, who makes sure that they marry with each other, those individual policies, and they're kept up to date. But it is, a, it's quite a job and it, it requires time. And I always shout out to the individual HR practitioners out there on their own who've got a multitude of duties, who don't have the big team around them. Um, you know, it can be harder in those circumstances too. But I've equally seen in large organisations where those things, where policies and procedures aren't thought through enough um, and, you know, issues and problems arising with them at, at a later stage. But some policies and their wording and the crafting of them are more important than others in terms of their impact on the individuals that you're uh, trying to reach. And, and this happens to be one of them. So um, the approach you take, collaboration, the involvement of internal and external stakeholders, I think is really important here. Absolutely. And I suppose on that impact piece, and it's a good question to finish on, I'll come to yourself for this one, Barry. Um, on that impact piece, now that it is, I suppose, in place, although it's obviously one of those, I suppose, policies where it'd be, you, you almost don't want anyone to ever have to avail of it because of what it is, let's be honest. But is there a greater understanding and kind of support system around the topic now? What has what the feedback been like? Yeah, I mean the feedback has been has been positive. I, I I think you know for for people themselves who've been impacted by some of the issues that the policy deals with, you know it's been we've actually got some really uh, insightful feedback and suggestions from people who've come to us confidentially who've been themselves victims of domestic abuse, um, and they've actually suggested changes, fairly immediate changes, subtle changes to to things that were outlined in the policy. Um, and you know you can you can be as consultative as as possible, but like when the rubber hits the road, uh, is when ultimately you start to see you know where it's working and what nuances may, may, maybe need to be um, need to be adapted to it. I mean we, we implemented those changes sort of fairly immediately, but you know there's been there's been other things as as the policy has kind of it's had a bit of a currency in the organization and we've started talking about it a little bit more, you know, it's opened up other avenues in terms of supports for people. So whether it be, you know, exercise, nutrition, um, you know, other, other things that the, that the university can do to support staff who are going through difficult times were things that we didn't really think about. And yet some of the people who have been themselves uh, victims of domestic abuse have felt some of these things are, are really helpful 
and can augment maybe some of the core um, components that the policy might might be seeking to address. So, you know, it's 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 been it's been very um, it's been very informative, and it's probably taken a it's probably taken a, a different journey to maybe some of the other policies that we've that we've created. Um, because it's it, it is Mary, as you were saying earlier on, it's it's one of those areas that people just hadn't really talked about, and it's, it's I suppose maybe post COVID, where as I said earlier on, I suppose the lines of communication and 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 the line, the boundaries that maybe heretofore had had been there between work and personal life became much more infused. Um, so so I think you know we're it, it's been a bit of a wake up call for us where we talk about people and culture and the importance of people being able to do their best work um, when they come to work. Um, that is, is a recognition that there's other things that are potentially going on in people's lives that we can, maybe through not doing a huge amount, but can have a big impact through um, policies such as this and have, have a really positive impact on people's uh, working lives um, and, and obviously help them in terms of maybe some of the challenges that they're facing in their personal lives. And it's great to see organisations like yourselves, Barry, and, and teams like yourselves putting this out there and, and I suppose moving the dial forward in any way because it again, as we said, hugely important topic so it's fantastic to hear hear the insights. Yeah. And I, I, would, yeah. I would say, Owen, I mean, we haven't yeah. cracked it so, I mean, we're still on a journey on this um, and, and, and uh, we're learning all the time um, so, you know, I think this 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 is this will ebb and flow. I think as we as we go forward, um, it's 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 one of those policies that definitely won't be won't be a static one. Um, if 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 the experience to date is, is anything to go by, percent. But look, I suppose we've we've hopefully we've we've helped people alleviate some of the stress and the, the confusion around it. And I suppose there's people like yourselves now to to look at when people are crafting these policies. So look, it's great to it's great to hear anyway. Um, so really appreciate your time today, Barry, and really appreciate your time as well, Mary. Very insightful, practical discussion. I know it's one we were keen on having after all the other content we've we've had this month on the topic. So thank you to everyone for listening as well. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Barry, and thank you, Mary. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room Podcast. The podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.